I am Tom Holland, and this is Fitness Disrupted. <laughs> My voice sounds a little different, or if it does, if you've listened to a bunch of shows. Uh, it was my birthday last night, and I stayed out late. <laughs> you could hear it in my voice. Work hard, play hard. Not always excessive moderation with everything. But then you get up and you go to the gym and you get right back on track, right? 80-20 with everything. So, <laughs> yeah, 54, 54 years old, pretty amazing. Uh, went out with a friend who turned 50 recently, and we both laughed at, at how it's crazy to be this age. And again, I know so many of you are in your 60s and 70s who listen as well, uh, but, but it's so cliche. It's truly a number. It's truly a number. But anyway, the show goes on. And at the end of every podcast, I give you ways to reach out with questions, comments, and I love to hear from you, and that's what today's show is about. Listener mailbag number 16. This is the 16th show I have done where I answer your questions. And what I love about today's show, it's it's two listeners, but five questions. So one listener had four questions that are just great. And, you know, not only are they great questions, all of the questions you uh, send to me, uh, but they lead to so many more topics than just maybe what the original one was, and, and that goes for uh, these questions as well. So thank you for taking the time. I will repeat it at the end, but Tom H. Fit, Instagram and Twitter, two ways to reach out with questions, comments, uh, teamholland.com. There's an email form on the website. You can email me questions as well. Uh, so any way you want to reach out, I love to hear from you. Well, let's jump right into it. So this is the first of the four questions from this great listener, uh, and I'm just going to read it. Uh, I've started attending this circuit training class, F45. The class doesn't incorporate a cool down after the workout. Is this a marketing thing? Uh, and then in parentheses, and I believe this is the person thinking what people are thinking. I feel more sore because of not stretching afterwards. Thus, I interpret the class as being more beneficial than it actually is. Time is money. Move people out faster for the next group coming in. So I, I believe if I'm interpreting this question correctly, that that's their guess as to why they are doing it. Uh, full disclosure, you know, I have yet to get to F45. I know of it. I've read a lot about it. I have friends that have done it. I'm pretty sure I have a pretty good idea of what it is. I went to the website as well just to make sure uh, that what I had heard and read was accurate. And it seems like it is. So uh, some of you may have done it before. Uh, it is, you know, a boutique fitness class. Uh, and, and I like what I see. Again, I, I, I rarely talk about things if I haven't done it like this, uh, but I can because it's it's, it, it is what it is, right? So it's, um, let me just read to you directly so you know you know exactly um, what it is. So what they're doing is variation and they're mixing up cardio and strength uh, in different ways, which makes complete sense, right? Especially for a boutique class. So, you know, if you have a spin studio, sure, right? You're gonna, you're gonna have people who love indoor cycling, uh, but, it, but it's limited, and more and more people, thank goodness, 
as I keep talking about, because you're, you're just reading the statistics, are getting into strength training. I mean, there's a great uh, article and a bunch just of, of recent data that I'll repeat again because it's, it's worth repeating. You know, gyms are allocating more space to strength now and functional strength. So kettlebells, barbells, things like that. They're, they're actually pulling pieces of cardio off, which I love, right? Because you need to do both. Both are really important, um, but there's too much cardio in many gyms. Like there's, you know, 15 ellipticals and how often, it depends on the gym you go to, obviously, uh, but the space could be allocated much better. Glaring example of that uh, are hotel gyms, right? Where you're like, why do they have like a calf raise machine in here? Like, yeah, put a, put an elliptical. Uh, but, you know, the amount of space uh, that is utilized for cardio and strength is changing and that's a good thing. And I, I say this frequently after, you know, spring break's coming up and I try to go take the family to a different place every year, hot place. Uh, I love travel. I love the experience. It's challenging, right, to to constantly find new places. And it's easier to be comfortable even when it goes uh, for vacations. But, you know, if I'm in a beautiful place and people are inside on the cardio, walking on a treadmill and you're in Cayman Islands, I understand when it's hot and, you know, there's a safety factor obviously involved, but I love nothing more than exploring by foot. Uh, you got to be careful and safe, obviously. But one of my favorite stories to repeat over and over again is running through the jungles of um, Costa Rica and experiencing a howler monkey for the first time, which I had never, uh, I didn't know what they were. And anyone who knows what a howler monkey is, it sounds like it's 900 pounds and they're like nine. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> How did I even get here? Uh, so... Circuit training, right? Right in the question. I've started attending this circuit training class, F45. Just so smart um, as far as a, a way to structure a gym, right? So from their website, uh, born in Australia, the F45 workouts combine elements of high-intensity interval training, HIT, circuit training, and functional training. The variation of our workout programming keeps our members challenged, eager to grow, and ready to have fun. I got to try this, you know, uh, it's just uh, not yet had the opportunity, but I try everything at least once. And this is something I will definitely try, but I'm all about variation. If you've listened to like a handful of my shows, you've heard me say it over and over. Variation is essential to us physiologically and psychologically. So uh, I'm not going to go through all of, of my notes here on F45, but for those who don't know, I love the way they do this. So cardio, and I have, I have no connection to them, by the way, and rarely do I bring up brand names like this, but in this instance, this is fine, in my opinion. Uh, but no, they're, they're not advertisers or anything like that. Don't have them. Uh, they do cardio, according to the website, on Mondays and Wednesdays. Uh, resistance trainings, Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sundays. And then they have a hybrid on Friday and Saturday which is also really smart, right? If you're going to the gym every day and you want something different, tell me what to do. That's what I've said over and over to these companies, fitness companies I consult for. Content, 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 right? Tell me what to do and keep, you know, keep me interested, mix it up. Keep me from plateauing. Most people don't know what to do. And this is really smart. So, <laughs> 
The question is, though, uh, they don't have a cool down. So, you know, depending on the workout, what is it? What is a cool down for? Right. And oh, I have to I have to clarify, too. They say um, if you were in this class this is the final sentence of the question, would you stretch immediately after? So it's interesting because there's cooling down and there's stretching. And yes, they can be combined, but there's a cardio cool down, right? And they're stretching. And again, the two can go together, but they're also separate uh, if they need to be. So for me to answer this question quickly, uh, F45 in the description, they talk about high intensity interval training, right? So a cool down essentially does two main things. It does other things. First and foremost, it allows you to bring your heart rate down slowly and safely. Like that's first and foremost, right? And generally speaking, that is really important when you get your heart rate really high. If you just stop, you can have a fainting spell, syncope. You can fall over, right? It goes to the blood pooling and what's going on with your blood uh, and your heart and your extremities, which is why two things. This is why uh, even in a marathon, they don't want you to stop right at the finish line. Anyone who's done the New York City Marathon knows the most challenging part of it is the finish, right? You finish, you run 26.2 miles, and then they make you walk a country mile through Central Park. There's a reason, a method to the madness. It's because they also want you to bring your heart rate down slowly, allow the blood to get back to where it needs to be so that you don't faint. And by the way, the second uh, kind of addendum to this is, this is why I don't like seeing people doing sprints on a treadmill and then jumping to the side and just stopping. Now, are you always going to pass out? Is it, is, is it it's a higher likelihood that something bad could happen? So what you can do is step back and forth, right? Keep your legs moving. So step to the right, step to the left. You're stepping over the belt if it's still moving. And that's generally why people are doing this. And then they jump back on. I would rather you actually slow it down, uh, but that's not always uh, possible based on your workout. But that's first and foremost, again, it's about heart rate. So the cool down is for the most part or the main part to bring that heart rate back down safely. Then there's other things like lactate, which used to be called lactic acid. Uh, great topic, great debate. Uh, it is now, people still use the term lactic acid, doesn't matter. For your purposes, it's the same thing. But lactate, when you do high-intensity interval training and you've built up that lactate in your body, this is another myth that I've talked about frequently, uh, you want to get it out of your system. And one way to do that is the cool down. And it's not massage therapy the day after, okay? Lactate is generally out of your body an hour or so after exercise has com uh, commenced. And so, you know, you'll see it marathons and different events where it says, or even just, you know, uh, advertising for massage therapy and things like that, you know, uh, come in and get the lactic acid out of your body. Well, if it's an hour or more after your event or what you did, it's already gone. But low intensity cardio cool down will help expedite that process. Okay. And there's other reasons, uh, but those are the two main ones. Um, and then they talk about stretching though. So stretching now, ooh, right? How long have we debated this? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. 
Again, the research that shows it it can be detrimental or not have an effect is generally done on power lifters. So if you're max squatting, max bench pressing, sure, you don't have to stretch before. Uh, and this, we're talking about stretching after. I'm not great at it either. I'm always honest with you. I need to be uh, a little bit more flexible. But uh, generally speaking, the research shows that the best time to do it is after your muscles are warmed up. And that means at the end of a workout, right? And the other side to that coin is that we want our bodies to work in a full natural range of motion. And two things prohibit that or, or make that worse. Sitting for long periods of time and exercise. Isn't that crazy, right? Both uh, ends of the spectrum. So sitting for long periods of time, muscles are gonna get short. When we do the same repetitive movement pattern, running, biking, the muscles are gonna get shorter. And when they get shorter, especially in a specific way, that can lead to problems. It can throw off your gait. It can, you know, just lead to tightness that will cause compensatory issues uh, and things like that. So stretching is a good idea. Uh, and there's gonna be another question on that, so I will expand on that shortly. Um, so if I were in this class, would I stretch immediately after? Sure, if I have the time, absolutely. Um, but to put a point, uh, you know, a period on this one, you can also stretch throughout the day, you know, just like the micro workout plan, you can do the workouts throughout the day that includes stretching. Now I just said you're better off. The body is better, uh, able to kind of work through those movements when it's warmed up, when you have blood flow to the muscles, doesn't mean you can't stand in line at the supermarket and do some stretches and things like that. I'm doing that all day long. Yes, I am that guy. All right. So there you go. Hope that answers that. Uh, well, wait, I didn't totally. Uh, do I think it's a marketing thing? No, I think it's just get people in and out quickly. And I think people don't value stretching enough. So it's such a great question. I think they want the class to end. They want people to get uh, a workout in. People would complain having owned a gym uh, and worked in so many uh, for so many years. Uh, they're just trying to give the people what they want. Uh, and many people would complain at even five minutes of stretching after. Not everybody. Uh, but yes, I would do it after if you have time. And then throughout the day, it's still a valuable thing. Uh, flexibility is one of the five components of fitness for a reason. Great, great question. Uh, number two, in bulletproofing, what do you do to help calves? So I use that term frequently. I use it in my book, The Micro Workout Plan, and, and um, in other books of mine. Uh, so we're talking muscles and movements here. I love that uh, way of kind of delineating the workouts and the purpose, right? So we want to strengthen the muscles, and then we want to uh, perform movements, and that's generally the, the functional, quote unquote. I believe all strength is functional, but another way to train is through movement. So for calves, such a fun topic comes up frequently with guys. Now I have my teenage boys. Calves are hard to hypertrophy. They're hard to make bigger. So bodybuilders, you know, uh, it's a lot of genetics there. They talk about certain bodybuilders getting calf implants because it's a postural muscle. It's a slow twitch uh, depending, but it's, it's hard to make bigger is the bottom line. So for bulletproofing though, that's preventing injury. That's the way I utilize that term. So I do the basics, right? So toe raises, you can literally stand, you know, stand 
just normally, and then raise your heels off the ground. Do a, a pressing down on your toes, lift your body weight up. That is such a simple way to strengthen your calves. Your body weight is a great way to work those calf muscles. And again, you can do that anywhere. Yes, I'm the guy waiting in line anywhere doing those things. Subtle, but it works, right? Uh, then you can do what, what is really common too. You can stand on a step. You can hold weights if you want in one hand or both. Gotta be careful if you're standing on a step. Uh, but you can, and you can stand in place and hold weights, dumbbells, right? You can put a barbell on your shoulder. That's another way to do it. Uh, and just add some additional resistance. And so you're going to strengthen the calves. But then I think what this, this person is really driving at, there's a lot of calf injuries as we get older. And I believe a lot of that is because, uh, it's the fast moving sports. You know, my experience as a trainer, the people who would pull their calves so frequently were guys, uh, not always, but a large uh, percentage of men, older guys doing things like basketball, uh, tennis, now pickleball, sports that ask the body to move really quickly, uh, laterally especially. So one of the simplest yet most effective exercises that I have utilized and found to help bulletproof the calves are box jumps. Not five feet high, not six feet high, right around your knees or lower, two feet, jump up, step back off. When you jump back off, and you can do that, but not in, not for these purposes, right? We're trying to bulletproof the calves. When you jump back off, you can actually, uh, you can get injured. You know, again, there's a time and a place to do it that way. But for this question's uh, purposes, you jump up, you step back off. You jump up, you step back off. Then, if that's around knee height, so, you know, two to three sets, 10 to 15 repetitions. Then, really low step, like, two inches off the ground, single leg, one to two inches off the ground. This is the opening chapter in my book, The Micro Workout Plan, the incredibly high level uh, 60-something tennis player who was crushing 21-year-olds that I trained. This was a huge part of his training. And it was the jumps I just described right about knee height for him. And we did three sets of, of 10 reps. And then we lowered it to about two inches and single leg. So jump up with the right leg, step back down, two to three sets, 10 repetitions. That I have found to be one of the, there's others, but one of the most effective ways to help bulletproof your calves. You're training the fast twitch. You're training your calves and your other muscles, by the way, lower body and things like that, to react quickly in a controlled environment, right? So that when you do go out and you start playing some sports, running after kids, whatever, activities of daily living, you are better able to perform those movements. This is training movements, right? The muscles have to fire in the right sequence, in the right way as we get older because we're it's use it or lose it. We're not doing it. We're not on the playground running around like we used to. And then we expect our bodies to be able to do, you know, the weekend warrior stuff. And then we are surprised when we pull things. So there you go. Simple, super effective one uh, additional amazing tool for your exercise arsenal. All right, number three, after going for a run, how long do you hold each stretch? So that is a great time to stretch, right? Like I said earlier, your body's warmed up. You know, you, you want to cool down, right? 
And so what I try to do, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm by far not perfect at this. So what I try to do, if I'm running outside, I try to go around my house to the patio in the back and stretch before I go inside. So in other words, like I can't go inside till I stretch. How long do I hold it? Five seconds and up to 60, depending on how much time, how much I'm cooling down, uh, but five seconds holding it, your major muscle groups, right? So it's calves, quads, hamstrings, glutes. And if you do 10 to 15 seconds for each major muscle group, and you got two, right, of each, it only takes a couple minutes. And here's the final kind of way to maximize this. You know, when I was heavy into training for Ironmans and marathons and stuff, I would use the stretching time as meditation and or visualization time, right? So maybe you're standing and you're doing hamstring stretches. You're putting your heel up on a, on a step or something, chair, and you're leaning into that stretch. Close your eyes and you can do visualization exercises like picturing yourself crossing the finish line in the time you want to. If you're a triathlete, you use it for swimming, biking, running, whatever, Again, also meditation. So maximize that time. Uh, I don't want to give uh, studies here, but it's not as long as you think, right? 60 seconds is a long time to hold each stretch. And I can't think of the last time I did it that long. So five to 10 seconds, five to 15 seconds per uh, muscle group. Amazing. Minutes matter all over the place, including stretching, especially stretching. All right, and the final question from this person, by the way, amazing questions, thanks so much. Uh, how accurate would you consider the step counter in any Fitbit or running watch? Uh, what percent should I multiply by to get an accurate number? Such a great question, and I've talked about this a lot. I love this concept, this topic. There's studies coming out all the time. I pulled two because they're contradictory, right? I'm gonna give you the two studies, and I'm gonna give you my answer on this. All right, so... First study, University of British Columbia uh, devised a two-part study, right? One which was conducted under lab conditions and the other one in a real-world setting. And they were comparing the iPhone's health app with a wearable waist-worn pedometer, okay? And the pedometer was created solely for counting steps. On average, what did they find? The iPhone step counter underestimated steps, walked by about 1,340 steps, 1,340 steps during a typical day. So if you're, you know, at the end of the day, it says you hit the 10,000, you're actually like 20% more than that almost. But wait, <laughs> you go, oh, that's great. So I've been hitting 10,000. That's great. Well, that's the iPhone. Here's specific Fitbit. The listener asked about Fitbit. Just happened to have a study that looked directly at that. So this was in the Journal of Medical Internet Research, 2018, August. Title, Accuracy of Fitbit Devices, Systematic Review, and Narrative Syntheses of Quantitative Data. Really complex sounding as usual. Uh, here's the results. They included 67 studies. So they looked at studies uh, that utilized Fitbit-like devices. Okay. Consistent evidence indicated that Fitbit devices were likely to meet acceptable accuracy for step count approximately half the time. 50% of the time they were accurate. 50% of the time they were not. So where, in what direction 
was the inaccuracy. Well, here we go. With a tendency to underestimate steps in controlled testing and overestimate steps in free living situations. So the opposite of what that other study found. That's an iPhone though. This is uh, a Fitbit-like device. So, uh, you know, we're talking wrist-worn. So that's important, okay? Findings also suggested a greater tendency to provide accurate measures for steps during normal or self-paced walking with torso placement. So where you wear it makes a huge difference, according to the research. So uh, walking with torso placement, during jogging with wrist placement, and during slow or very slow walking with ankle placement. How many people wear it on the ankle? I don't know anyone. Uh, in adults with no mobility limitations, consistent evidence indicated that Fitbit devices were unlikely to provide accurate measures for energy expenditure in any testing condition. You go, what's the point? Why did I pay this money? What am I wearing it for? Truly, and I know this doesn't make you happy, most people who want the accurate numbers, the main point of these devices or the main benefit is to get people to move more. That's it. And you go, well, I want the number. I understand that. And, and that's why I gave you both of those studies. One said overestimate, the other said underestimate. Then you, where you wear it makes a difference. And if you're going, how fast you're going makes a difference in the accuracy, crazy. I want you to not be wedded to the numbers. And I know, I get it. It's so many clients who were like, you know, there's so many different personality types when you're coaching people and some people like Excel charts and other people are like, I don't even want to wear it. Uh, but what you want to do, and this goes for just about everything when it comes to metrics, what's your baseline, right? So, you know, are you, are you walking 8,000 steps? Are you healthy? Do you want to do more? Well, then try to improve on most days. Not every day. Can't always beat yesterday. Impossible. There's days where you're going to sit on a plane and you go, oh, that was half my normal steps. Well, then the next day you try to do a little better, right? But that's truly the excessive moderation approach that I 100% believe in. Uh, there's just nothing is perfectly accurate. And even the, the GPS watches, you know, I have a running race director friend, worked at all the magazines, one of the you know smartest guys when it comes to running and everything related to that. And, and we laugh all the time about people who finish a marathon and they'll say, you know, a marathon's 26.2 miles and my watch read 26.4. And you should go, oh my gosh, I can't believe how close to accurate that was. And I don't want to get deep into this at all, but like you have to run the tangents. First of all, that's how they measure courses. And then people are, you know, going to the porta potties, things like that. But it's, it's hard to be accurate. So even someone like myself who has all the devices and wants all the data, uh, I know that I'm going to try to move more you know, be consistent with the strength training, with the cardio, and just see where you are. If you're at like 3,000 steps today, then try to be 3,100 tomorrow. If you're at 10,000 every day and you're like, well, am I really at 10? It doesn't matter. It's, a, it's an arbitrary number for the most part. Did a whole podcast on that. I'll do it again. You know, uh, Japanese device decades ago and... It's an arbitrary number. That's all you really need to know. So move more, you know, look at the five components of fitness and try to do a little bit of everything. The strength, the cardio, the flexibility, uh, you know, body composition, all that kind of stuff. All right. One more question. That was awesome. Thank you for those four, by the way. 
And final question. Hi, Tom. Just listened to your podcast today. Excellent as usual. Thank you. But it raised a question. So I, I talked about uh, deadlifts in there, in this podcast. Uh, question I wanted to ask you. You mentioned that deadlifting isn't worth the risk reward for most people. I wanted to ask if you meant just deadlifting off the floor or other forms of deadlift as well as RDLs, uh, Romanian deadlifts. If not, uh, is there any other hinge work you'd recommend instead? Such a great question. And, and I know like people are, you know, I love this saying, but I use it over and over. I'm not going to yuck your yum. If you love deadlifts, then you should do deadlifts. Just do it with proper form, appropriate weight, and be super careful. I can't tell you not just how many people I see deadlifting incorrectly with a lot of weight, but people deadlifting incorrectly with trainers watching them like hands folded as if they're as if they're saying you're doing it right and they're not. But if you are, it's it's an exercise that can be really beneficial. The cost benefit for a guy like me is just not even close to there. And so there's different ways to do it as this um, person asked. The way I do it, single leg deadlift with a dumbbell, sometimes two, but usually one, really slowly, not a lot of weight. And I'm just trying to prevent injury and improve my activities of daily living and my sports, right? So I don't have to go really heavy. I just want the balance work. I want the strength work that goes with it. So yes, you know, working uh, not off the floor, generally speaking, a little safer for most people, just smaller range of motion, um, you know, less movement time to kind of hinge that or um, round that back. But again, I, I want to, if you're doing it right and you're good, more power to you. But I will always say, you got to bend the paperclip or the plastic card 500 times before it fails. That's your spine. So you got to be careful, right? Um, so again, my short answer is I still do deadlift type movements, but single leg, oftentimes just tapping the ground. So no weight, standing on one leg and just doing hinge work like that. Um, sometimes loading it, but most often not. But that's for my goals. Uh, appropriate weight. Uh, I'm just guessing from the way this person worded uh, the question and they might be doing it right. I think they probably are. So appropriate weight, good form. You can do all of those exercises. Just be careful. Just be careful. And if you don't go too heavy, you're going to be better off. And then the one of the most important things is to know when to quit, right? I can't tell you. I've seen people many times do the, the, the reps correctly, but at the final time, the final rep, when they go to put the weight down, completely rounded or rounded enough that that's going to be problematic. So great form. Uh, I personally prefer the single leg stuff with lighter weights, dumbbells. Um, and again, that's a combination for me of balance work uh, and, and, you know, mitigating the, uh, likelihood of getting injured. All right. That was, that was great questions. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you reaching out. So many people benefit from this and 
you know, there's more questions that come off the questions, which I love. So again, as I said at the start, Tom H. Fit Instagram, Tom H. Fit is Twitter. You can direct message me right through there. Lots of new content coming up. Go to teamholland.com or fitnessdisrupted.com. See more about uh, what else I do and the books and things like that. You can email me through the site, as I said. Uh, please, brand new feed, Fitness Disrupted 2.0. So any way you can support it, following, liking, commenting, subscribing, greatly appreciated. Uh, rating, I need more Apple. I need more Apple uh, ratings. Fitness Disrupted, We what do we get? 400 uh, plus, and we're getting, I don't know where we're at now. I gotta look. Uh, but thank you, uh, Micro Workout Plan, most recent book. What else? That's it. Just remember, I love what I do. And to do this, you know, we just crossed 500 episodes and I got 5,000 more in me, all right? So thank you for listening. And remember, there are three things, yes, we all control how much we move, what we put into our mouths, and our state of mind, and that is awesome. I am Tom Holland, exercise physiologist, certified sports nutritionist. Believe in yourself. And now, the words of Jack Lane from one of my radio shows many years ago. I want to tell you how fortunate you are to have someone like Tom just trying to help you to have a better life.